Hi, everybody. This is Steve Kenyon from 8 Seconds Media. Thank you for joining us for the Steve Kenyon Podcast. Last week in Hermiston, Oregon at the Farm City Pro Rodeo, I'm in Gooding, Idaho today. The rodeo in Gooding goes on through this weekend. Last week I was in Hermiston at the Farm City Pro Rodeo. Had a chance to spend a lot of time with Dave Duquette. Dave is with the organization called Western Justice, which is lobbying very, very hard on behalf of all of us in the Western way of life. Dave and I talked about some of the issues we all need to be aware of right now, including some things that are still simmering in the Los Angeles area. Here's that interview with Dave Duquette. Thanks for joining us for the Steve Kenyon Podcast. I am really thrilled to be in the home of a really good friend, a gentleman named Dave Duquette. Dave is behind the organization known as Western Justice, uh, which is working tirelessly behind the scenes on behalf of a whole lot of Western lifestyle issues, Western lifestyle questions, um, animal issues, all of that. Dave, welcome. I, I guess I shouldn't say welcome because I'm in your house. <laughs> so thanks for having me. How's that? Yeah, you bet. Thanks for coming over, Steve. I'm glad you were in town when I was actually here and could we could set this up. Yeah. Here at the Farm City Pro Rodeo in Hermiston, Oregon um, is where we are. Dave is actually gone from home as much as I am, I think. You're, you're here for about two days, and then you're headed to California. I want to talk about Western justice, and I want to talk about a lot of the things you're up to. I want to start by talking about what it is that you are doing in California. I hate to say this. My theory in life is that, especially in our Western way of life, every bad idea starts in California. <laughs> and then the idea is to at least try to contain it there if we can't stamp it out. What's going on in California? So the the ban on rodeo is still going on. You know, we kind of Los Angeles in Los Angeles, city of Los Angeles, trying to ban rodeo. Um, you know, I've I've had some people recently that have uh, messaged me and said, "Hey, where are you guys? You know, we haven't had an update on Los Angeles in a long time." Well, we beat that horse for two and a half. It's been two going on for two and a half years. Western Justice has spent about seventy five to ten thousand dollars a month for two and a half years mm-hmm. on this issue with the lobbyists and all that, and they're kind of sitting on. They're sitting on it and they won't vote on it. It's it's ready to be voted on, and we thought it was going to be voted on a year ago. And now it's we've we've held it off. And the 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 Western Sports Industry Coalition, if if it wasn't for what we've been doing, it would already been voted on and passed. So um, we're we're all headed down there um, Tuesday. Where the the coalition is going to be very well represented from folks from Bill Pickett, the Compton Cowboys. Uh, the local, uh, some other local folks, the Charos and PBR, everybody's going to be at the uh, city council and we're going to go, we finally got some in-person meetings. Because of COVID, we could never get in-person right. meetings. Right. So you've been asking people to contact the Los Angeles City Council mm-hmm. respectfully and explain, you know, why banning things like rodeo and those kinds of issues, not a good idea, obviously. Um, is what's facing the L.A. City Council, I, I forget exactly how, the, how the, the documents read in the legislation or the proposed ordinances, I shouldn't say legislation read, but is it actually physically a ban on animals and entertainment, on rodeo, things like that, or is it a ban on the tools that would go in, you know, things like the spurs and right. all that? It's all, what, what are they banning? It's all implements. Uh, what they're calling implements of torture. So flag straps, spurs, ropes, um, wire tie-downs, which nobody has a bare wire tie-down in anything. Right. You you hurt a horse pretty bad doing that. They don't even know what these things mean or what they are. But they've been very disingenuous over the last two and a half years because they sit and talk about how 
you know, the, the author of this says, well, we're not trying to ban rodeo. Well, in another- We're just banning all the equipment you need to have a rodeo. And in, in their biggest, his biggest supporter, Shark, you know, right. um, he actually talks about in several articles how, and on his website, how they effectively have banned rodeo in other places by using this method. So yes, they are trying to ban rodeo. Right. And they're, and they're going to ban rodeo. But I mean, the good news is, as the coalition is already set up and ready to go, we are going to, if they do pass it in LA, we are going to sue the city of LA, which is going to be very costly. Right. But we are going to sue the city of LA because we can't let in people, you know, are the, the number one thing I hear is, oh, just let LA go. You know, they're crazy out there, let them fall off in the ocean or comments like that. We cannot let the second largest city in the United States ban rodeo without a fight. Right. Well, one great thing, and then, you know, I hear people tell me they don't want to support it because they, they don't believe we can win in L.A. Well, guess what is the biggest thing in California, uh, you know, these, these liberal politics down there, and it's not, you know, it's is freedom of expression, freedom of speech, right? Mm-hmm. So we have a First Amendment right for freedom of expression and freedom of speech with rodeo, and that is our expression. Right. The Charos, their their Taria is freedom of expression. So that's where we're going with it. Um, and, and I don't want to spend all of our time on this, but this is an important issue. Right. And I'm, I'm a, we'll, we'll revisit it again when we get done. Part of, as I understand it, again, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. part of what is being discussed in Los Angeles would not just impact rodeo. It would impact, you mentioned the Charles. It could literally impact equestrian groups wanting to ride in the Rose Parade, correct? Correct. And it could it, it will impact without a doubt the the Olympics in 2028. The, they have the Olympics in LA in 2028. So the Olympic no show jumping things like that. Well, yeah. that one of their things is there is one of their things that they're saying are implements of torture is fixed spurs. Wow. So what about the all the jumpers that ride post spurs? Yeah. Or or the English or what the dressage people that ride a post spur, not a spur with a free moving route. I mean that's. You think? Do you think? And and honestly, if they do pass this, that's probably going to be one of the biggest things that we can change. Because then they they say, well, we're going to carve out the guys, the council member that's brought this up said, well, we'll just carve out the Olympics. And well, then it's not about it's not about taking care of the animal. It's about rodeo. What you're saying, it's not about rodeo. It's about torture. So if that's an implement of torture to you, then yeah. But and one of the we feel pretty good about a lot of it. But one of the things that they're trying to throw their hat on is no ropes, no ropes at all. I mean, not even a, not even to catch anything that's you know a bull or whatever. So they're trying to they're trying to say that you cannot you know take down an animal at all with a rope or use it to subdue an animal. Wow. So if they do that. Uh, there's several people right there. Dale Gibson, stuntman, and you know Team Rubber. Avid Team Rubber's got his own place right there in L.A. That's got, you know, he puts on ropings and pennons and all kinds of stuff. There's, there's several groups within the city limits of L.A. that have team ropings all the time, little team roping clubs, and they've been around for 75, 80 years, and they're going to be in trouble. Yeah. But then they say, well, we're we're not going after the private people to do it. Well, that's not how it reads. They'll, they'll be able to go after it. And they've already proven that that's, 
a disingenuous thing to say because they've already proven in other areas where they pass this, like in Pasadena and other places, they've already passed this over the years that they they go after people on their private ground. Did a similar measure to this one, is there another state where there's a similar measure to this? Or is this brand great? It, it, it ha- it ha- this one, this one. Uh, I'm thinking something uh, in Pennsylvania. Pitt- Pitt- I- Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh yeah. passed in the 80s. Okay. Uh, it's either the 80s or the 90s. Pittsburgh passed it. But that's, we've been working on, there's there's groups that have been working on getting that passed or re- redone to get it revoked, basically. Before we go on off of this topic, what do you need people to do? Are, we st- are you still hoping that folks will send letters? Can they go to the Western Justice website and find all the contact information? Yeah, they can still do all that. And it's, okay. it's going to help. I mean, I think they're going to get this thing voted on pretty soon. But we have, you know, the the council president is not, with all the things they have going on in L.A., he doesn't need this to be a, a you know, a, a bad spot in his deal right now. I kind of watch the news a lot, and it seems to me there's a lot of other stuff going on in Los Angeles. Yeah, right. They've now. got a lot bigger problems. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let, let's talk about Western justice. I want to start here. Tell me about your background. Uh, we're here at your place. You, you, you've been in the horse business. You've uh, been around this lifestyle your whole life, I think. Yeah, you did. Pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. I, I, I kind of grew up around the, the Kelsey McLean Rodeo Company. Right. So, But I never got into rodeo. I, the only thing I wanted to do in rodeo was be a pickup man. Because, you know, I rode enough crappy colts and Bronx that wanted to kill me that I didn't feel like I needed to go pay to get beat up. So... Um, I trained rain cow raiders and rain cow horses for 25 years. Team roped a little bit. I had to rope a lot anyway, cowboy. And so I did, it wasn't there again. That wasn't something I just went and did for fun. I was too busy. I wanted to show cow horse and rainers what I wanted to do. So I did that for over 20 years and I still give lessons and things like that here at the place and got some non pros. I don't do a lot of it because I'm not around a lot. So, um, but that's my kind of my history in the horse world. But I back in 06, I mean, when they started shutting down the slaughter plants, that's when I got involved with politics because I I I knew with the sales that I would do, I went from the bottom all the way to the top. I didn't really, I didn't sell cannon horses, but I sold horses that were in the 1500 all the way to the $150,000 range. Right. So I knew what the, I, I had a unique view of the market. I, not unique, there's a lot of people that did it. But I had a pretty unique because I went all the way up into the high-level horses too, and so I knew what it was going to do the the horse industry. And you know, back in the heyday, the heyday of the horse industry was 05 before they did that. And then we had 08. You know, the the perfect storm of the plant shutting down, the the uh, economy taking a crap, and it just that's when horse welfare went in the toilet. And you, you know, that's all history now. But I mean, I still. What I do a lot with the tribes right now because the tribes are the ones that have the biggest problem with feral horses because they don't have a subsidy with the federal like the federal government does with their BLM horses. So the tribes right now we fight the Safe Act. They're, the animal rights groups have been pushing this Safe Act, which is stop all horses from going across the borders, even. So the only outlet that these tribes have. Right now, like Yakima, say Yakima, the Yakima Indian Reservation, when they first started finally collecting them and shipping them, they had over 22,000 horses. Well, ecologically, they they can only have 1,200 horses. Running loose on the the reservation, 22,000, yeah. 
and they're down quite, they're down below 10,000 now, but they've been shipping a lot to Canada. Well, those horses up there are so inbred that they are, I mean, it's uh, nobody wants them because they're so inbred. They would be a pet, if anything, and they're not very good pets because they're wild, they're plum wild. And they're a little bit loopy because they're so inbred. But I mean, I've seen, we, we took, when I was working to protect the harvest, we had the Lucas Oil helicopter up there, uh, video on those things. And I saw one horse and it looked like about a yearling or two-year-old stud, but he was loping across the, the snow and his head was longer from his ears to his nose than his neck. And his back was straight as a mule, and they're deformed, they're inbred. They don't get, I mean, maybe 700 pounds is a big one now. Right. Because the big ones can't survive out there. Yeah. There's nothing to eat. So they're like billy goats out there now. 22,000, I'm just imagining 22,000 horses. Well, that. the Navos have 100. Wow. Yeah. The Navos, on the Navo, and it's the biggest reservation in the United States, but still, it's, there's nothing. Think about 1,000 horses is a lot of horses. In that country. Yeah. You know, think about that, where yeah. where, where Navajos are. Hot, dry, maybe yeah. not a lot of grass, desert. Yeah, and when coyotes can take a horse down, it's pretty sad. And there's a lot of video of coyotes taking a horse down on the, on the Navajo reservation. So when people talk to us about animal welfare, animal rights more than animal welfare, we're in the animal welfare business. Right. I think I, I think I can say that correctly. And, yep, yep. Um, you 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 are advocating for the welfare of these animals. Yeah. They the the animal rights groups tried to hijack the welfare you know moniker, and we we fought back pretty hard because we are the stewards of the animals. We're the best stewards of all these animals, and we our welfare are what we're not animal rights, but we treat our animals probably a hell respect well, to a hell of a lot better than PETA because PETA oh, kills yeah. more yeah. more animals than they give out yeah. or you know adopt out so 2006 is that when you got involved with protecting yep. the harvest yeah no no 2011 okay and forrest lucas saw me on brett Baird's show talking about the horse slaughter deal and he uh he, he saw me on brett Baird's show back in 2010 and he goes he 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 got somebody to find my phone number and he called me cold called me and it was Kind of funny because I said, interesting. Hi, this is Forrest Lucas. Well, I had no. I'm not a gearhead. I had no idea who I was talking to, and I talked to him for an hour and a half. And he went on about how he, you know, had a ranch in in uh, Missouri that had 6,500 mother cows. And I thought, man, that's a big outfit, no matter where you are. Yeah. And I thought, and I I didn't think anything of it. So I called my friend Mindy Patterson from the Calvary Group, who I worked with quite a bit. And she was right down there. And I said, this, this guy, he's kind of sounded like a mumble talker in a, or he was drunk when he called me. And it was Forrest mumble talks on the phone. I found out that, but anyway, he, she, she goes, well, I said, he's got 6,500 mother cows. I said, and she goes, well, what's his name? And I said, Forrest Lucas. She's like, holy crap, Forrest Lucas called you? Yeah. I said, yeah. She goes, I'm not even going to tell you, just Google him. So I Googled his name and I called him right back. And I go, I go, Forrest, how come you didn't tell me who you were? And he starts laughing. He goes, well, I gave you my name. I said, yeah, but you didn't tell me who you were. Right. And he goes, he goes, he started chuckling. And he goes, well, I didn't think it was that big a deal. And I said, Forrest, you're a pretty damn big deal. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was that. Did he have the football stadium named after him? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that was, that was the point in my career of doing this stuff when I realized, I, 
when I've realized that a man of that stature and that success and with a, a retail product was actually going to put his name on, on doing some of this stuff, I took this huge sigh of relief because I had been pushing, I know some of the wealthiest people in the country prior to meeting Forrest through the horse business. And they were all behind what I was doing, but they would never stick their head out. It was like they were all hiding behind me pushing, but they'd never stick their head out. So it, you know, it was before it was even woke was a word or, 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 you know, going after people was, you know, a big deal. So you start Western Justice. Mm -hmm. How long ago? Well, I left, I left Protect the Harvest. I worked for Forrest from 2000, late 2011 till 2020. And then you started Western Justice right in the middle of COVID. Right in the middle of COVID. Nice yeah. timing, did you? Yeah. February, <laughs> February of 2020 is when I started Western Justice, yeah. Uh, and COVID hit in March, and you still managed to go forward. Yeah. Uh, at least you had lots of time in, on your hands. Yeah. Be able to look at I got to sit around and work, yeah. So what is, what is if, if I'm sitting next to on an airplane and I say, what's the purpose of this Western Justice thing? What are you going to tell me? Uh, basically to protect our lifestyle. I, the, the thing, the thing that... I try to explain to people is the, the horse industry has always had, you know, a voice in DC with the American Horse Council. Right. They are more focused on the English, the 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 thoroughbred and and the jockey club basically runs that organization. The Western world, and I've I've called them out, I've called these groups out for not helping the Western lifestyle and, and our world, which we are about 75 to 80% of the domestic horses in the United States. So I've tried to get them to do things over the years, you know, and I, I organized a big coup in 2009 at the American Horse Council's, their annual meeting in DC. And it wasn't because I was trying to take everybody from them, but I had every state American Horse Council at a meeting the day before theirs started at the hotel across the road in DC. And we sat and talked to them and they wanted to defect. And this is probably the biggest, biggest mistake I've made in doing all this stuff. And I said, no, I said, being a Marine, I want to, I don't want to divide. I want to divide the enemy and conquer the enemy. Right. I don't want to divide our own group. Right. So I want to keep everyone. want to unite. So I wanted everybody to stay over there, but then come help us. Right. And instead of, I probably could have built a huge grassroots deal from 2008 on and be really big right now. Um, that's, like I said, that was probably the, the uh, a mistake, but I also have, I don't have a guilty conscience for doing it. You know what I mean? So I let it all play out. But, but the Western horse world has never had a voice. And if you think about who's, who's, who's in it, the ranchers, the rodeo world and the Western horse industry yep. and the amount of people that are in the cutting, the reining, the cow horse and that stuff. How many horses or members are registered with the AQHA right now? Right. By itself, millions. And if you if you put all of those together and we all came together under one blanket, there's nothing we couldn't stop. There's so much horsepower and literal horsepower. Horsepower with the people that are involved. You put together okay, you mentioned something at the beginning of this conversation and you just mentioned being a, a Marine, thank you for your service, by the way, uh, that you, you're try, you, you'd really like to see people unite. Mm -hmm. Under the banner of Western Justice has been created something called the Western Sports Coalition, mm -hmm. which is, I'm going to put my definition on it and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. 
which is an organization of diverse groups within the Western sports industry that, quite frankly, a lot of us thought nobody would ever be able to get working together under one tent. From the PBR to the PRCA to the AQHA, the Bill Pickett Rodeos, and there are Charles and dozens of other. I mean, if you look at your website or you look at the the number of logos of the Western Sports Coalition, yeah. it's got to be thirty or forty. Oh, it's almost sixty. Yeah. Is it sixty? Yeah, yeah. I, I I I'm telling you, I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm naive. I didn't think anybody'd ever get that many people that together lot, that under one umbrella. How'd you do it? That was a lot of hustling and a lot of. Uh, uh, I, I don't want to call it shaming because it wasn't really shaming, but I'm like, these guys are on. What? Why are you? Right. And some of the biggest organizations were the hardest ones to get to do it because of the bad blood. You know, bad, bad blood between them. Or they're, com- they're all competing organizations, so they don't generally work together. They're working against, Man. you know, against each other in the market. So that's that's how I did it. I just kept hounding them and saying, this is what we need to do. And they all agreed. They saw it. I mean, it's not like these are dumb people. These are smart people to be in the positions they're in. So they all, once they understood it, they all started to come together. There is, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this. There is a tendency in our lifestyle, I think, and all of us, including me, Mm -hmm. have done it, to focus way too much on who won the last horse show? Mm-hmm. Who won the last rodeo? How much money did so and so make this year? And not enough on the elements working behind the scenes in local county commissioners' meetings and city governments who would like to take our lifestyle away. Right. Did I just make a correct yeah, statement? You sure did for 100%. I mean, uh, we are part of the problem we have in, in, in agriculture as a whole. As we work our asses off, right. we have to to make a living and to get ahead. You have to work. Farmers and ranchers don't have yeah. a lot of time to yeah. lobby their local exactly. state legislature. And, and the ones that they get to a certain level where their family can do stuff and they can go do it, that's great. We got we got some great people out there that are doing that stuff. I'm, um, but as far as and one of the problems with agriculture is that you know and as you know Gilbert Aguirre is. Uh-huh. Down there in, in San Juan, whatever. Yeah. Yep. Uh, anyway, what's the name of that rodeo? Just behind the uh, the rodeo on San Juan Capistrano. Yeah. 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 So I was talking to Gilbert when I first started doing the coalition and, and putting all this together with LA. Somebody gave me his name. I'd never talked to him before. I called him up and we had a, a great conversation. But he was, he was, he reminded me that when they went to go ban rodeo in his area, which they did, but he got uh, an exemption for his rodeo when they, nobody came to his, to help him. Hmm. So he was reluctant to want to help out, right? And and not not in a, not very for very long, but he was reluctant or felt reluctant because nobody came to help him. So we, that's what I told him. We are we're the one we're the cavalry. We're coming in to help out where these things go or start to happen. I want to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you again later. How can people support you? How can they help? You offer you offer membership opportunities yeah. through Western Justice. Yeah. Folks, we find all the information on the website. Right. So the membership is the big thing because the more members I have, I should have half a million members. I mean, right. really, I mean, we should be, with, with the demographic that we take care of, we should be bigger than the NRA. You know, and that's, 
that is if if we were doing that, we would be able to stop anything, you know, and one thing I've learned when I worked for Forrest Lucas was how to play the game in DC and how to get that done. Obviously we got the Hammonds pardon. We did a lot of good stuff. We I can I can stop things with just phone calls and not have to even go to DC. I don't even like to go to DC. Right. But I can stop a lot of things with just phone calls and paperwork sending it over there just because of the people who I am associated with now and associate me with doing the right thing. So let me ask you about something that you are working on right now in Pocatello. Mm-hmm. Um, you and and I guess this goes the the broad question here would be how do you outreach? How do you reach people? You're working on a media project right now. You're working on a documentary mm-hmm. in Pocatello, Idaho. Tell me about that. So it's a really interesting situation, and and this is all word of mouth people. Where one thing about Western Justice, when when some of the other organizations that you would think would be behind people in situations like this don't, they don't get involved with that that type of stuff. Um, they they call me. They call me and they go, okay, can you help us out? Mm-hmm. And I do a lot of that behind the scenes where people don't even know it's happening. I mean, right. there's a lot of that kind of stuff I do. Pocatello, there's uh, there's some generational, I mean, seventh generation family, uh, settling families in, in, the, in that area. The original founders yeah. of the community. Yeah, and they are getting done dirty and they don't know what to do because they didn't know where to turn. They've got a judge that won't, they've got 31, 32 motions already that the judge won't even hear. And they're, they're very legitimate. They've got this judge, you know, there's, so basically it's the real life Yellowstone going on over there. I mean, that's what it is. You know, the whole premise behind Yellowstone is that they're trying to take the land to build a big development and airport, all that stuff. This is the real life version of that. But these people, and, and they joke about it because they call it more the trailer park Yellowstone, trailer park <laughs> Because their their old main their old uh, you know the original ranch house which was probably fancy back then is a little square brick house and it's in gray shape but it's probably only nine hundred square feet right. you know it's got three, two rooms and a and a living very small living room and a kitchen. There's a connection between one of the people that you're highlighting in this documentary, um, and. You told me a story about asking Larry Mahan one time who could who could beat you. Yeah, yeah. Somebody there was a there's an interview, a famous interview out there of Larry Mahan, a, a, a reporter asking him who when he was in his prime. They're like, who could beat you? I mean, can anybody beat you? Right. And, and I have, I'm having trouble imagining Larry saying anybody could. Yeah. Well, he he did say it, and he said that he said that there's one guy that he's glad never comes to town, hardly ever. And it was one of these, one of the part of this family, a guy named Wolf Hart, and he is um, wilder than March Hare, eighty years old and still wild. But he, uh, yeah, he said that it was this guy. He, he says, "I'm glad he hardly ever comes to town from Pocatello because he could be." Oh yeah, and I won't say why. He, yeah, why he said he yeah. doesn't come to town, but that's, I mean, it, and, and in the heart, the heart house there. There's a 1939, and I took a picture of it and posted it, a 1939 World Championship saddle from Madison Square Gardens. And it was Harry Hart, Harry Hart Sr., won the steer wrestling in Madison Square Gardens in 1939. I'll be darned. And the stories that go along with, 
them hooking up and going, you know, having to drive this little pickup with a trailer all the way back to Madison Square Gardens to go do that. Pretty amazing. But yeah, they're they're getting run over right now um, from the city council. And, you know, it, it, you can't go telling people that the judge is corrupt and all that stuff, but all the evidence leads to there's there's some major issues going on with the the people that are in charge there. When are they gonna? When when is this documentary gonna be out? Hopefully, will be um, you know the first couple of episodes. We're gonna have, we're gonna do it in like a four part series, right? So hopefully, the first couple will be out in the next month or two. Um, joined by Dave Duquette, actually at Dave's home in Hermiston, Oregon, um, talking about the Western Way of Life, talking about Western Justice, the organization that you have started, um, that you are. I mean, this is not you. There's not some great big board of directors someplace running Western Justice. No. You're in. Well, well, I have some. You've got some help. Yeah, I've got some key members. Like Gary Bays uh, is on my board of directors and Greg Kimmel. They're, they're some of my great friends, but also have the same mentality about what it is. And Gary Bays is my senior counsel, too, and he's probably one of the most storied attorneys in agri- the agriculture world all the way back to the Nixon administration, you know, and doing stuff there. Do you... In any way, shape, or form, agriculture's issues are in some ways different, in some ways the same from, you know, some of the the things that we're talking about, Western lifestyle, Western sports, horses, things like that. Obviously, there's a lot of crossover between our industries and the agriculture industry. In agriculture, they're doing things like fighting for water rights and um, having those kinds of issues, just the sheer fact that less than what is it one and a half percent of the population of the country feeds the world um is there crossover there i guess there, is what there, i'm getting at are yeah. you crossing over with beef council or i'm just throwing out names i'm not i'm not sure if you yeah over there, there's there's there is a lot of crossover but there's also um one of the things that's really tough for me in this this whole and i've seen it so much i want to bring everybody together right but some of the big organizations i won't mention them but they, if it's not their idea or they're not the ones that get the public notice on it, they don't want to do anything with it. And that's the sad part. Yeah. And in agriculture as a whole, like with what we saw in California with the cage-free eggs, started in 2008, the Proposition 2, and then it turned into once the egg growers in California had to go all cage-free and they couldn't compete with the 29 other states that sent 7 billion eggs to California already. You know, at that point, California consumed 9 billion eggs. They only produced 7 billion when they're at their height, or 2 billion when they're at their height. So they had 7 billion eggs coming from 29 other states. Well, so then the California egg growers, eating their, basic, I call it eating your own. Right. They, they got behind a deal called Proposition 12, which basically says if you don't produce California standards, you can't sell in California. So that raised the cost of eggs, but it's also against the Dormer Commerce Clause. We actually, when I was at Protect the Harvest, we filed and paid for and filed a, a federal court case with 13 states attorneys generals uh, against California. And at this, that point, Boston had done what they call question three, which is the same thing. And we filed another 13 states attorney generals filed against Boston. And it just went, it's just now getting heard. And that's been 10 years. I'll be darned. So, okay, you just talked about California, Boston, opposite coast. Mm-hmm. Um, 
We talked about Pocatello, Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, Los Angeles. Los Angeles. I guess where I'm going with this is this, Ted. For people who are involved in our lifestyle, mm-hmm. people who want to stand on behalf of our lifestyle, do we need to be aware of what's happening in our local communities, whether they be in Florida, Washington, um, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, California, Iowa, Texas, Oklahoma? That that uh, there there is there are there issues? I I, I already know the answer to this question, which mm-hmm. is yes. But are there issues that crop up in front of city councils, county commissioners, in subcommittees of state legislatures that all of a sudden you find out about and go, oh, crap, we need to do something with this right now? Right. Yeah, all the time. All the time that happens. We we stopped three bills. We were the catalyst for stopping three different bills here in Oregon just this this session. So we were, we were able to get rally a a bunch of folks and bring a bunch of folks together to stop three different things that were going to be detrimental to our industry mm. and our way a lot. I mean, one, just this is how stupid it is. There was one that was going to go an anti-trapping and anti-fur ban, our fa- fur ban, and that would have banned the sale of felt hats in Oregon. Huh. Like this one? Yeah. Really? Yeah, fur products. It's a fur product. But, but that, that, and the, the greatest thing that people can do and and especially at a county level or a city level, small in like small towns, and we've done this in Missouri, we've done it all over, is they call me and they go, okay, we got this coming through. There was one in Missouri of all places where the county was going to, county commissioners were going, and it was a rural county, and the county commissioners were going to make it so that there was a, a law that if you had more than five animals on your place, livestock, you had to be have a CAFO license. Didn't matter how big your place was, you had to have a CAFO license. Okay, define that license. So a uh, combined animal feeding operation right. license, which is a feedlot. With five animals? Yeah, yeah. So they were, and they, they didn't know any better. And they were just going to pass this. Well, we organized, helped to organize a bunch of, I mean, they ended up in one of the city, or uh, the county commission meetings with about 600 plus people just packed in there and outside and, and just protesting this deal and coming to talk about it, and it got to stop. But that right there takes one good, I call it the Aaron Brockovich deal, where you you know in one town, you got to have that one Aaron Brockovich mm-hmm. that'll go hustle everybody and do it. And there's always one to do it. Right. But that's, and, and we can give them the game plan right. and help them out. And that's that's what we do a lot. You're 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 dealing with. I think I'm right in saying this. You're dealing with pretty well organized activist groups, and if the thing in Los Angeles is any in, indication, you're dealing with people who aren't afraid to just literally wait you out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I I we've got a we've got an with the 24 hour news cycle comes an attention cycle, an attention span for people in this country of about. 24 hours yeah or maybe less after for for an issue to continue to live for two and a half years yeah must be its own special challenge all by itself oh yeah and that that is hard that's what i talked about earlier it's i didn't want to you know i was talking to my better half molly about this earlier you know with people calling me and saying hey what did we do what's going on with la did it pass did it do this and you guys just haven't talked about it well we have talked about it a little bit but it got to where it was so stale 
and people got tired of hearing about it. They got tired of hearing me saying, hey, maybe next week you're going to vote on it, which we kept the hearing through the city council and through our lobbyists, but it just kept going on and on. Right. So, you know, I didn't want to sit there and keep beating that horse, you know, with everybody. And so now we're going down there, like I said, on Tuesday to go. We're finally getting some in-person meetings. We're all going to testify in front of the, the city council in their public comment deal. So it'll, we'll have a bunch of cowboy hats and some charros and yeah, and the Compton Cowboys and people like that down there. Where do people find that information if they'd like to at least write a letter, send an email? It's on it, www.westernjustice.info. Uh, West, okay. Yeah. And that's where all the information's at. That's where everything's at. Is there anything else right now that is kind of simmering under the surface that you're keeping an eye on? Yeah, there's a lot. Um all of this 30 by 30 stuff that's going on, there's a lot of property issues. I'm working with some of the big land folks that are out there. Um, Define the 30 by 30 thing. Well, basically, the 30 by 30 means that by 2030, 30% of our land in the United States is going to be free roaming, free range, which, uh, and they, they're going to keep, keep going with that. They keep pushing on that stuff. Um, the other thing is, is the the cattle deal. Man. You know the cattle narrative. We have a a scientific study that's going to, without a doubt, prove that cattle are actually good for the environment and net positive, not a net negative. Nobody. I don't care if it's cattle organizations. I don't care if it's the biggest scientists around. That nobody's equated what we're going to equate. And basically, what it what it's going to equate is that. If you and this is all about rangeland, right? Ra- cattle out on rangeland. So basically, what it's going to equate is it's going to equate that if you leave grass feral, which is what cap and trade and carbon credits do. If you leave grass feral or forage type plants feral and you don't graze them off, not only do we have these huge wildfires, but in the spring, if it doesn't burn up, in the in the spring. There's been, over the winter, there's been some kind of an oxygen deprivation event, whether it's, depending on your climate, whether it's a heavy rain or it's snowpack, when that goes away, you know, in the spring, the new grass comes on and all that old grass disappears, right? Right. So, for the most part, there'll still be some in there, but when that, in that decomposition process, if a cow would have, would have consumed everything that it could in that, in that area, the, the GHGs, the greenhouse gases, and the different than the carbon and all that, there's no that it's consumed and brought into that sequestered by that animal. And the farts and the burps that the cows do are way less than if they would have left that, you know, say, let's just put a hundred acres on it. If a, if one cow can consume a hundred acres of grass in a year, right? Then then that hundred acres, all of that went up because it was it was left to decompose in the spring. There's way more emissions than a cow. Oh, sure. So, and then which the, seems logic and all. Yeah, and all, I mean, if you got two brain cells clicking together yeah. every once in a while, you know, cows aren't are worse than cars, like they're saying. But the people in the cities are believing that. Yeah, we could do a whole nother hour on why it's um, as as we grow further and further away from an agrarian lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And closer and closer to everybody living in town. Urban, yeah. And I made I used the statistic. I, I haven't looked at it in a while. 
it's like less than 2%, less than 1% of the people in this country raise all of our food. Mm -hmm. Um, the farther we get away from that agrarian lifestyle, the easier it is to um, convince folks who live in town who maybe have never been out on a farm that, that we need to eat, fa- you know, yeah. factory meat, yeah. uh, the 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 scientific meat, lab-born meat. That's the that's the scary part to me because our our market right now. You look at what's going on when they had four dollar calves the other day. That scares me. Yeah, I mean it scares the hell out of me, but we have to. We have to make sure our cattle ranchers are not disappearing. They need to get well paid for sure. But um, you know, we're China just became just just in the last year became the third largest producer of cattle of beef in the in the world. That's just scary too. Scare yeah. everybody. Yeah. But we're and so we're cutting back from what they just did in Ireland. Did you see what they did in Ireland? Well, then I I, I ran into if you if this is what you're referring to, they were trying to. There, were, there was an, uh, some consideration being given, basically, to putting a whole bunch of cattle down. Yeah, all their da- half their dairy yard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so asinine with all the grass that they have there. So if you think about cap and trade, and which we have here in Oregon, because our governor, our last governor, did it by executive order. She couldn't pass it with a ballot initiative. She couldn't get it passed through the legislature, so she did an executive order. But cap and trade and, and the carbon credit deal is the carbon credit, you have to leave that ground mostly feral, right. not totally feral. So all they're doing with, with what they're so doing. going to let it sit and grow. Yeah, with what they're saying they're create, are doing or they need to do, they're actually exacerbating the situation by doing it. So we our, our grazing study, we need to come up. We've got some funding. We've got about a quarter in the funding right now coming in. But we need, you know, help with from people, and that's why we have a fundraiser up on our our platform, Rural American Action, to to raise some funds. If I had, you know, the video I just put out with uh, uh, Congressman Massey just filleting John Kerry, it's mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Everybody should watch it. But it's it's got eighty thousand views on it. Right. If I had, you know, five bucks from all of those people, we'd have the money to go start this study. Um, westernjustice.info what other social media or where else can folks find it? everywhere um, every, I mean we're on about every platform yeah. so Western Justice and Rural American Action is our, our platform that has fundraising I mean that's another big thing we got you know we can do fundraising our crowdfunding uh, petitions and polls and surveys and we are um, we're doing that because the bigger groups like change.org or some of the other fundraising groups, if you look at, you dig into them, you look at who they donate to, they donate to the people that are trying to put us out of business. So don't put your fundraisers on GoFundMe and, and change.org, you know, for petitions and all that, because that's, you know, ours, ours, any money made, the residual money made off of that thing goes straight into Western Justice's 501c3. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Thanks for being here, Slam. I asked Dave for... 25 or 30 minutes he's given me way more than that which i'm actually not surprised at uh oddly enough um good luck in los angeles have a safe trip and i hope that that all goes well uh that's happening as we're visiting on the second friday in august august 11th that's happening next tuesday yep um and so i hope that i hope i hear a positive report when it's all said and done okay sounds good thank you thanks steve uh dave ducat joining us thank you for watching and for joining us on the steve kenyon podcast